brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Assume nothing. Rash, bald-faced blasphemy. Question 
everything. I find it extremely hard to imagine. Open your eyes. It is quite all right to be an atheist. The fastest growing group of people in the country has been measured as being those who have no belief or who are atheists. You don't have to be apologetic or quiet about it. Challenge the opposition. You see religion on a hundred fronts losing the argument. And start thinking. This is The Thinking Atheist Worldwide. You know, we talk sometimes about the little things in life. And I know it sounds cliche, but I've really come to the point where I just don't think there are any little things. It's the little stuff these days that just makes my day. Last night, Natalie and I were hungry, right? And it's a bad time of the day to be hungry. It's like 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) We hadn't really had dinner. There was a tennis match. We went out and played a couple hours. And after it was over, we wind down and we're like, I'm hungry. And this is normally when you make bad decisions. This, You know, there's nothing in the fridge that sounds good. And I didn't have any really healthy stuff left. And so we decided, I'll tell you what, let's go through this drive through at this Mexican spot. And we'll just get some nachos or something. All right, nachos at 10 o'clock. Very bad idea. So we hop in the car. And we go through the drive-thru. We both place an order. This is absolutely a true story. And while we're sitting there, I'm like, this is a bad idea. And we're both healthier. We're trying to be healthier. We're trying to make better choices. It's after 10. I wonder how many calories. I wonder how much sodium. I wonder how many fat grams these meals were about to get through this window. There's like five cars in front of us. How many... How many calories are we about to eat right before we go to bed? And all of this stuff just going to stick right to our asses and whatever. So she grabs my phone while we're waiting in the car and she Googles it. All right, listen, nacho thing, refried beans and raw. Holy shit. 1,500 calories, 46 grams of fat. Like 2,000 grams or so. I mean, just the kind of sodium that'll just cause your body to burst into flames. <laughs> and what I ordered wasn't any better, you know? So by the time we got to the window, we had talked ourselves out of it. But we had already placed the order. Well, I didn't want to just disappear from the line and have the poor person behind the window not know what happened. Wait a minute. Why did someone take off? Now we're stuck with this food that we prepared. So we went up to the window and we said, look, we've changed our minds. We don't want any of this. I'm going to go ahead and pay you for it. What I want to do is this. I want you to give it to the people in the car behind us. Now, the woman in the window just looks at us. I'm dead serious. I want you to. In fact, you know what? We had kind of a random act of kindness epiphany. Let's do this. I want you to give our food to the people in the car behind us, and I want to pay for their meal. And then the lady in the drive-thru just started smiling. And she looked at us and she said, I love this. Because it starts the chain. Wait a minute. What chain? And then she asked to explain the obvious to me, right? That this is not an uncommon thing, or I guess it's common enough when someone does this for someone who's in the car behind them, that car will then pay for the meal for the car behind them. And everybody catches the bug. 
Everybody gets pay it forward fever. And I guess this can go on for a while. I don't know how long. As we're pulling away, I have to admit we were driving a little slow. We were far enough away where we really couldn't be seen, but we were sort of hoping to catch the expression when they discovered that some total strangers just bought him a late dinner. It's a little thing, but it just made our night. And we didn't do it because Jesus was going to bless us when we did it. We did it just because it felt good to do it, you know. And uh, so let me encourage you, if you, you know, you've got a few extra bucks lying around sometime this week, you ought to try this experiment. It is a ball. It is so much fun. Just some small, stupid gesture that really isn't all that small or stupid after all. I know. I'm a sentimental pushover, I know. But it's just an idea. And definitely something you might want to do with your kids in the car. What a great thing for them to see, you know. Anyway, thanks for listening to the broadcast tonight. My special guest is Tracy Harris, one of the co-hosts of the Atheist Experience television show based out of Austin, Texas. She's someone I've wanted to have on the radio for a long time. And uh, there's video of this. Again, you can find the video link in the description box. You can see our sort of webcam chats and the questions and comments from many of our listeners and viewers. We'll get to that here in just a second. Our show today is brought to you by Phil Ferguson and The Phil Ferguson Show. Once again, I've asked him to join me for just a second to talk about the stuff that he is talking about on The Phil Ferguson Show. How you doing, brother? I am having the time of my life. How you doing? I'm well. What's the story these days? What are you guys talking about over there? Well, the story that just hit this week, uh, I happened to have on someone to do an interview about a Christian, good Christian company that is selling a stick to beat your children with. And uh, I, you know, I'm kind of half tempted to think that this can't be possibly true. So I called the guy and asked if I had the address. I said, uh, someone in my church gave me this letter. Is this the correct place to send the money to? And he confirmed his address, his email, and that's $8 per stick plus $1 for shipping and handling. Spare the rod, spoil the child. This is his thinking, huh? That's exactly right. And like I said, this show went up just a couple days ago, and my friend uh, Hemet Mehta over at the Friendly Atheist, he picked it up, and it now has been picked up by the raw story. And the most amazing thing, this shows we can actually make a difference as a community. I just this morning got a phone call from this guy. I thought maybe he figured out that I was the Phil Ferguson of the Phil Ferguson show and he was going to call and yell at me. But he called to apologize that he would not be able to send me the spanking stick because it has hit the Internet and he is no longer going to sell them because it's in the best interest of his family. So he called to apologize to me that he can't send me one. I have my suspicions as to why he stopped selling the rods, but I'll let him listen to your show. You have a broadcast about this, Phil? Yeah. Uh, the show that went up uh, just a few days ago from the time of this recording was 168, where we talked about the stick and the letter and how he told people in this letter he did not want it on the internet. But show number 169, we're going to talk about the phone call that he gave me and what he said and why he's no longer selling it. It's a great win for the secular community. It will be a compelling broadcast. I will link the Phil Ferguson show in the description box of this show. And Phil, thanks for your support of the thinking atheist. Thanks for having the conversation out there. It's pretty gutsy to call the guy up and we'll send everybody that way to find out how all this played out. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, Seth. Talk to you later. We're going to do a broadcast, I think, coming up in June on corporal punishment. Those people whose parents believe that they should not spare the rod. 
lest they spoil the child. You know, many of these very strict homes were sort of defined by spanking. They spanked their kids for everything. What was it like? Did it help? What damage did it do? What's your position on corporal punishment when it comes to children? I think we're going to do a show on this very subject, and we're going to go deeper into this story about the guy who was selling the switches or rods or paddles or whatever for the kids. Uh, That's coming up, I think, in the month of June. If you want to participate in that story, maybe you've got something that you'd like to share, a perspective, a personal anecdote, an opinion, you can email podcast at thethinkingatheist.com. Tracy Harris is one of the hosts of the Atheist Experience, a television show that's based in Austin, but essentially is seen all around the world via the internet. Uh, she is, as I understand it, the one who feeds Matt Dillahunty all his best lines, tells him what to say, chastises him for, you know, being boring. And she's been kind enough to join me for a podcast. Hey, Tracy, how you do? I see you shaking your head, which is why I just jumped in. How you doing, Tracy? I'm doing good. Thanks. You are always complimented by Matt. Matt's always like, oh, Tracy's so smart. Oh, Tracy had a great line. Tracy did this. Tracy did that. And I'm like, I'd just put that shit on a resume. I mean, everywhere I went. (laughs) Actually, is it like herding cats over there? I mean, all of these free thinkers converging in one spot or what? Fortunately, I'm not the person tasked with controlling anybody else. So (laughs) they do what they like, I assume. And, uh, yeah, I have no no authority over any of them, so I don't have to worry about it. Austin is kind of this weird microcosm inside Texas. I mean, you guys are down there in the land of Governor Perry and all kind of religious legislation regarding public school, public education and whatnot. And then you go to Austin and it's just kind of a different animal. What's the story? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of inputs in Austin, so it's the capital city, and I know that they, you know, pushed a lot, like, uh, about two decades ago for um, sort of beefing up their tech company input, so it was used to be known as the new Silicon Valley, and uh, so we gained a lot of influx from, you know, California and uh, some other states, a lot of people working for tech who are not, I don't think... Um, hugely like a conservative demographic. So that brought in a lot of different people. There's tons of tech companies here. And there's um, also the huge like University of Texas at Austin, which has like, you know, 50,000 plus students. Um, So you have this huge college population that really adds to that. Uh, So I think we have just a lot of different input from a lot of areas outside of Texas that not maybe a lot of other Texas cities don't have access to. Tracy, there are people right now who are going to kill me if I don't ask you why there's a big cardboard box that says eggs on it. Oh, there's a lot of boxes. What are you doing back there? Are you you a hoarder? What's happening? Actually, no, I have um, a roommate. uh, So a friend of mine graduated, speaking of UT, um, from UT and uh, she needed a place to crash for a while until she could find her dream job after graduating. So she got her PhD in anthropology and she just needed somewhere to stay um, while she sends out her resumes and looks for her job. So this is kind of, this is all her stuff. <laughs> and, uh, she has no idea that her personal effects are being broadcast. Well, her box, I boxes, right? So yeah, um, yeah. no, but, but she's got another room. <laughs> stuff too and so you know it's luckily I have uh, you know tons of space that I don't use so 
she's welcome to store things there. I'm surprised Ever you didn't generous. Tracy Harris see, opens her home. Did you see the Hot Wheels? You gotta see the Hot Wheels too. What am I, am I, are they on the wall? They're on the wall, yeah. They're t I have a tiny screen, so forgive me, those uh -oh. on YouTube may be able to focus better. Is it yeah. your collection or hers? <laughs> no, that's my ex-husband's Hot Wheels. <laughs> you and just so, keep them around. <laughs> they're here. Well, he's I'm keeping him around too, so he's here as well, and uh, we all just sort of share the space for now. What's your interest outside of being, you know, a heathen on internet and on Austin-based television? What do you do for kicks? Oh gosh, I um, spend a you lot. You have of time a life, on, right? I mean, that's I spend my a lot of time point. on social media. I, most I mean, people, most people who see activists only see them in the context of their activism, and they catch a little bit of their personal lives on yeah. Facebook or Twitter. But I mean, you know. I mean, I, I think that people. I, I remember one time posting on this one site, and I said, you know, I'm I'm a very boring person. And people were writing and they were just like, well, maybe we can get your life you know, more exciting. And I'm like, well, no, I didn't say I didn't like being boring. I didn't say I was bored. I said I'm boring. And my life, um, I like my life very low key and low chaos. And I have like a super low tolerance for you know, most things that are just sort of upheaval, so the I... white noise of everyday life, right? I just tend to, I love staying at my house, I love my house, I like my garden, I like to just hang out at home, I like to cook, um, I'm super, other than cleaning, I'm super domestic, like I just, I like to go shopping, like bar, I'm a bargain shopper, you know, I do the, the thrift store thing and stuff like that, and uh, I don't... Um, I mean, I spend, I, I'm significantly, like, spending a lot of time on social media, a lot of, you know, just sort of for fun, because it relaxes me to just hang out with friends online. Uh, I have, weirdly, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends, but I don't see them often. So I will tend to maybe host parties at the house a couple times a year, and they're super well attended, but during the spaces between them, I rarely see anyone. Like, I, I'm very, very... Um, on my own, and I, I, it's not that I don't like people or that I don't like seeing people, it's kind of more that I just don't think about it. Like, I don't think about reaching out for social contact in yeah. person. You must enjoy debate. You can't be on the atheist no. experience without thriving. No. Or seeking out mm -mm. some don't like kind it. of... No, come on. Don't like it. No, You're don't right like there it. in the crosshairs. You've got theists from all manner yeah. of, of backgrounds and perspectives coming at you. And you're right there. I no? think it's, you've got to think, it's kind of like somebody, I guess, becoming, uh, going into the military and assuming that they necessarily like war. It's like, that's not necessarily why they did it. They might, they, they might do it because they feel like someone needs to do it. And they feel like they might be obligated or that this is a requirement to protect themselves or other people, you know. And so they feel like a standing military is an important part of a free society. So to assume that somebody really enjoys war because they sign up for the military would be a huge mistake. And I think that in my situation, the idea that I enjoy those kinds of discussions is a giant, giant error that people make about me a lot. Like, they think I want to engage in this stuff, and I really, really don't like it. But I feel like it needs to be done. And I, I'm not personally convinced that I do it better than most people. But people tell me that I do. And so I feel like if, if as long as people feel like I am 
a good person to engage in those debates in the public dialogue, then I should continue to do it. You know, when the day comes where people are just like, you're doing more harm than good when you get up and open your mouth, that's when I'll probably stop. But my goal in doing what I do would be that one day it's not necessary to do it, right? I would love to wake up one morning and religion is not dominating everything and threatening people and harming people and so I can just say, cool, we never have to shoot another episode of the show, it's done. But I don't, I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. How long but have you been I, doing the show, Tracy? Uh, I, boy, I can never remember if it was, I think it's 2009 maybe was when I started. And why, how did... How did it come about that you became a part of it? Did you were you um, a caller at some point? Did... Oh yeah, oh yeah. I used to call the show. I, I love public. I've told the story a lot, so I'll just run through it real quickly. But public access here in Austin is really funny. Um, we have a lot of really hysterical shows that they air on public access. I don't have cable anymore, so I don't get to see it. But back in the day when I lived in an apartment, and I had cable. Um, I used to watch Access, and just it would crack me up. Like the things that people would rent airtime to put on the air was just ridiculous. I mean, some of it was really cool, and some of it was informative, and some of it was just funny. Um, Alex Jones, the conspiracy theorist who gets a lot of airplay, was actually on. Um, that's where I first saw him. And they then, ran Alex Jones on public television. Oh, for uh, there was like about a year or two where most of it was Alex Jones, where he was just buying up all the airtime. And so he, you know, you paid to be on the TV, and you could show pretty much, you know, whatever you want to show. And so he was buying a lot of airtime and showing a lot of his videos and a lot of, you know, a lot of his caller things. And you know, and I actually called and talked to him a few times. I doubt he would remember because he talks to so many people. But, um, you know, it was a very weird experience, very surreal. But I saw the atheist experience, and when I saw them, I used to call a lot because I was a conservative Christian, you know, that was my background. I wasn't a conservative Christian when I called the show. I had that background of being a conservative Christian, and that motivated me to call. Usually I would want to call when other callers would call in, and they would say something that I was just like, wow, that's really messed up, or, oh, I remember when I used to think that, and here's what changed my mind, or, you know, so it would be all these prompts when I would hear the call. I would never sit down and plan to call the show, but then I'd hear these other callers, and I'd be like, someone needs to respond to that who has a background in, you know, heavy religion. And so I would call up and it was real easy to get through to the show back then because, you know, it was just local Austin and nobody really called. I mean, they, you know, go they'd chat for a long time and never get a call. So I would call up and I would try to quickly get through my stuff so that um, other people could call in if they wanted to. Uh, and after a while I got invited to go to the dinner and I went to the dinner and I brought so I used to do used to do this comic strip called Atheist Eve. And I brought some samples of it, and people enjoyed it. And so the Atheist Community of Austin offered to host the comic strip at their website, and I told them that would be great. So I went ahead and started doing it, and I did Atheist for a while, and that was a fun thing um, that a lot of people enjoyed. And then uh, they ha told me that I should join the association, and I did. Um, after a while, I was like, you know, I, I'm not big on joining things, but at the same time, I'm going to a lot of their events, and I'm really getting all the perks of being a member, so I should probably just, you know, hand, hand them my 30 bucks and just do it, you know. So I did. And I didn't realize it, but that was one of the requisition, like prerequisites to being a host on the show. So after I joined, then I was like, hey, would you like to do the show? And I was like, yeah, no, that's not really something I think I'd like. Um, but I was asked a few times, and I finally agreed to try it uh, with Don Baker. And I tried with Don, and it was not a bad experience, but... They put me on the rotation, and they notified me that I was put on the rotation. Now, before the first show, yeah, right, yeah. right before they roll, is your heart about to pop out of your chest? Were you sweaty palms? Well, no, nervous? See, that was were you the cool thing. 
Don actually had a guest on, and so he told me, why don't you sit in? And that way, if you don't feel like you want to engage, you don't have to, but you could you could if you want to. And she was she was actually a lot of fun to talk to. You know, she had a conservative uh, religious background as well, more so than me. And so she was a lot of fun to chat with, and she was very good, I thought. Um, and then uh, it wasn't as bad. I guess my, my biggest concern, I think, was that I would lock up on the air, that somebody would call and be talking to me and that there would be a good answer or many good answers and that I would just simply freeze and not be able to think of what to say, that I would just, you know, end up not being able to converse and not have a response and I would be completely useless. And it turns out that I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty good at being chatty, so it worked. People love you, Tracy. It's just... Well, thank you. Not everybody loves me, but... Um, not, well, know, there are probably a few theists out there. People who love me love me. So. Now, you mentioned a couple of things I want to come back to. You are a graphic artist, and you oh, draw... Oh, I was. Uh, I don't do that. I haven't done that in about 10 years. And I'm sorry, because that is posted still. It's just that the website's not been updated in Well, a you long. mentioned that you had drawn, was it a, a graphic, a, a Oh, an illustration, gosh. a comic, an atheist <laughs> thing. What was it? it? Well, if you ever see it, I mean, I wouldn't call that drawn. It's like barely. <laughs> well, I want to see all. it. Is there a it's copy a, of it yeah. somewhere? Is I it? mean, it's at the website. It's at uh, the Atheist Community of Austin website. It's um, one of the links from their main page. People all right, I'm going to go find it, and I'll put a super up for everybody who could watching so we well, can there's see a persecute. Should I send you a link? I send mean, me a, a graphic. For, all for right, those I'll, who are watching in post, it's already on screen. So There's actually... Um, there's actually one that gets the most airplay. Did you do a whole run of these or just a few <laughs> or what? I did one a month for a few years. So, yeah, there's like a little slew of them. Where did this sort of desire to do battle come from? I mean, were, were you... Oh. <laughs> uh, were you, did religion jack you up or what? Yes. You kept talking about this fundamentalist kind of conservative <laughs> religious background where you... Yeah, I feel like religion steals all your time, your resource. I mean, it just steals your life. I have When I think of the things that I put my mind and my energy toward when I was involved in religion, it is just aggravating to me that somebody put into my head that this was important that this was something that I should be focusing on and thinking about and that this is where I should put my energy. And all these things are happening in reality, right? Like all over the planet, there's all these things that need to be fixed. And I'm sitting here focusing on what was just some of the most ridiculous issues that religion thinks is important. Well, give me some examples. What were they focusing you on? Well, they weren't super social. So when, when you've got today, like when we think of conservative Christianity in the United States today, we think of the evangelical movement that is very, very proactive in forcing itself onto other people via legislation, right? So everybody is familiar with that. But I come from a background where the religion was super, super, like, um, like very withdrawn. It, they were socially withdrawn, and they were not active politically. So they had this issue of like arguing about biblical crap. So you would be putting all your energy into trying to determine whether or not God thought it was a good idea for men and women to swim together or whether it was acceptable for a woman to wear pants, you know, to church or I mean just that kind of stupidity where you just thought my eternal soul rests on whether or not I can figure out the right answer to this idiotic question. 
but this is where your energy goes. And then at the end of the day, I remember an elderly woman who was probably one of the sweetest people I've ever known who was involved in the church. She was very soft-spoken not, and never said an unkind word about anybody. She ended up with cancer, and she was dying. And I went to visit her at her house. She was not doing well, and the treatments weren't going well, and she was enduring radiation, and her body was just racked. And she pulls me aside while her husband is talking to my parents, and she's telling me that she's afraid that there's something she might have been doing wrong in her life that she didn't know about that is going to send her to hell, that Jesus is not going to accept her because she's imperfect and because she didn't know that there was this problem. And there's this idea that, oh, you know, Jesus forgives you and then you, you know, you're acceptable. But with religions like this, you have to continually identify the sins that you commit and ask for that forgiveness in order to receive it. And so for her, the idea that she was saved was irrelevant because she was thinking if I, if I was committing some sort of sin and I wasn't aware and didn't ask forgiveness, then I'm tainted and, and I'm not acceptable to God and I'm going to die and I'm going to suffer eternity in hell. And this was what she was dealing with instead of focusing on her chemo and her treatments and her you know, getting better or even dealing with settling her affairs in order. If she didn't get better, she's sitting here worrying about going to hell as she's dying because that's what the church had done to her. And that to me makes me sick. Like I just get so angry when I see a thing like that and I feel like someone needs to stand up and try to get a person like this out of it so that they don't end up in that situation when they're 70 or 80 years old. That is were, sick. Were you in some ways that person? Was it... Um, you know, do you find yourself whispering the prayer of forgiveness? Lord, forgive me for this thought. Forgive me for doing this. Forgive me for wearing this. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the catch-all. Forgive me. There was, you know, there's even a, a hymn we used to sing that was like, it had a line that said something like, forgive the secret sins I do not see. And it's like, forgive me for the things I'm unaware that I'm doing wrong. It's like you just want to throw out this blanket of, you know, please don't. You know, and then it doesn't, people are like, oh, it gives you comfort when you're dying. It doesn't give you comfort when you're dying. It terrifies people that are dying. They are horrified that they may not be good enough to go to heaven. It I mean, is interesting to watch sick. people who believe in heaven. Quite often, the percentage of people who believe in an afterlife are the ones most terrified of death. It's bizarre. Well, yeah, if I believed that there was a, you know, hey, there's this 50-50 shot, you know, of, you may, may not go to hell. I mean, I would, I much rather like the idea of, you know, dying and that's just the end of my life. Like, you had this life, you had this time, you know, when you're on the planet. I can't complain um, when I think about the way some people's lives are on this planet. Um, I'm doing pretty well and I'm pretty comfortable and I have really nothing to complain about. I mean, my daily stresses are nothing compared to what some people have to endure. And so when I think about the idea that I was, you know, I was born into an existence where I have the opportunity to spend like, you know, maybe 70 years if I'm lucky, um, running around doing whatever I want to do in a very comfortable way, uh, and then I die and that's the end of it, that's a pretty nice party. <laughs> like, I'm okay with that, totally. And if uh, if somebody told me, oh, you can have an eternity like afterwards of life, but you know it may be enduring eternal torture, I'd be like, yeah, no, I think I'll just go with the nothing. Hey, Tracy, totally. have you heard the argument that eternity actually cheapens the value of life? Like if it never ends, then it sort of becomes. I don't know. It's it it cheapens the the fact I that it's so precious. I think it would if people really believed it, but I don't. I'm not convinced that people internally actually believe what they talk about there. I mean, some people probably do. Don't get me wrong. I don't speak for you know everybody in that situation. Like apparently, clearly, the woman who was scared on her deathbed that I was talking about, you know, that woman believed it. But there are so many people who seem to 
like they talk a game, you know what I mean? They talk this good game about it, but then you'll see a loved one die, and they are devastated. And it's like, well, if you believe what you say you believe, why are you devastated by a death? I like, think that some of them are. <laughs> I think many of these people are trying to talk themselves into it. And the more I say it, the more I repeat it, the more I reinforce it, the more maybe I'll be able to buy. It, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I can't. Like I say, I can't get into people's heads. But all I can say is that there are some people that I watch, and I think they believe it, and they are not happy. And there are other people who seem to say they believe it, but when you see their reaction to death, it's pretty not comforted. Yeah. So it's weird. It's like I think, and what's interesting is I've. I've much, I don't, I'm going to say, I can't remember anyone ever saying, my child died, but I take comfort in the fact that, you know, my baby is in heaven with God. But I've heard many other people that aren't in that situation say, people get comfort from their religion in those situations. It seems like the people who aren't in those situations assert that people are comforted by them, but I've never seen the grieving parent look like they were somehow, you know, okay with it that their child had died because God. I have never seen that. I've, I've only ever seen grief-stricken religious parents. I was having lunch with, um, he's a theologian. And, you know, he, he's a tremendous man, but I always kind of get that condescending look of, you poor, poor man, one day I hope you come to know <laughs> the love of Jesus. You know that look, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were talking about heaven, and he was perfectly fine with the idea of a heaven, an eternal heaven where... All you do is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I mean, just kissing God's ass forever was his <laughs> idea of a great, great time forever. And I, I just stopped. I'm like, is this really paradise? Because I'm thinking, you know, God, could you send me to hell? <laughs> you know, I mean, do I, do well, I get a shot? And you have to think. Like, I really have to think to myself. There are people that write to us. And it's funny because the first time I heard it, I was like, this is really weird. But then we started to hear it more and more. It's just, I guess, I hadn't encountered anybody like this. But there are some people who do not believe in God that are atheists, and they understand it's completely ridiculous, and yet they fear hell. So they somehow retain that fear of hell, even though it doesn't make sense. And... For me, I think what happened when it came to walking away from the church, a big part of this, you know, I, boy, my deconversion from the particular religion that I was in, specifically Christianity, came before I became an atheist. And there was a span of about 10 years between those two epiphanies. And so when I quit going to church, um, one of the things that let me walk away with my conscience in order where I wasn't you know tortured by doubts about hell was the idea that I did believe in God and I did believe that if God wanted me to come to some understanding and I worked hard and I sincerely tried to find that message or that understanding that any God worth its salt would extend a hand and meet me halfway. So if I'm trying hard and I want to know, God, if you have something you want me to do or you've got something you want me to understand or you've got something you want to tell me, I'm willing to hear it. I'm willing to follow any route that you show me. I'll do whatever it takes to try and get to you If and all I'm asking is that you acknowledge that and appreciate it and show some reciprocation. And I felt like to me, if there was a God that couldn't do that much, then it wasn't really a God that I cared about or wanted anything to do with. So if you had a God that couldn't appreciate that, someone actually trying, um, then that God to me was like not worth worshiping. 
how arrogant of you. You know, I mean, who do you think you are? You you know, you don't place expectations on God. I'm being one of your callers. Right? Well, what I'm saying though is that if God expects me to make the effort, but he will not help me when I when he sees that I struggle and I need help, then that's not that's a completely unfair scenario where I'm doing everything I can and there's a gap yet because I can't do any more. And so if that God really wants me to take that step, and he, then, then that hand needs to be extended. And if it's not extended, I've done everything I can. And, and that's the point. It's like I've done everything I can. And so when I get to you know, the heavenly gates and I'm called out on what I did or didn't do, my response is I did everything I could think of to do to try and figure out what it is you wanted. And I was unable to achieve it. And if I have to suffer for that, then I have to suffer for it because all I can do is, is as much as I can do. You can only give your best effort. Now, the, the goalposts continue to move here, though, because they can just <laughs> say, well, your, your heart was hard. You weren't listening. You weren't listening with the right ears. You'd, you didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit. God was speaking the entire time. If, if only you had really, truly, honestly been listening, Tracy, you would have heard his voice. A human being can only give their best effort. I mean, that's it. You can only do as much as you can do, and you can only search as hard as you can search, and you can only be o as open as you can be. And so what the reality is, is that if I'm doing everything I can think of to do, and there are things I'm not thinking of, then I need a hand. And if that God wants me to get there, then that God will give me the hand. If he doesn't want me to get there, then I won't get the hand and I won't get there. Or I'll have to wait longer to get there, or whatever the deal is. But the point is, I knew that all I could do to... Con when confronted with God was to say I did the best I could and if I felt like that was true there was no then there's nothing more that I could have done and so at that point if a, if a God is going to make me suffer then the God is messed up yeah. and if I'm going to um, but if the God is not a complete jerk then that God is going to be okay with my best effort I like the way Dillahunty said it when he said someone would ask him, what would it take for you to be convinced that there is God or the, that God is, is real? And I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I'm not really sure what it would take, but if God exists, he knows what it would take. Right. And he knows what I would need to be convinced. And he could already be working to that end or have done so. I thought, well, that's actually a really good answer, right? If God knows me all that well, he knows what it takes to convince me, right? Right. Yeah, and Matt will often tell people, like, you know, you should pray to your God <laughs> to find out what it is going to convince me and then use it. Tracy, we'll is anybody see. right now praying for your immortal soul? I mean, on the family tree, are they terrified? Are they mortified that Tracy's doing an atheist show in Austin, Texas, or what? Not at all. I mean, um, I, I don't know. Like I said, the church that we went to was... I don't know. My dad was very weirdly like argumentative. Like he would argue the Bible and he would be very into confronting things in a real aggressive way. But he never went to church. Like there'd be these weird points in his life where he would sort of get invigorated and go back for like six months and then he would quit going because he would never agree with them about anything. But he never agreed with anybody about anything. I mean the man was just like a continual argument. And so you had him, and then and he really, all he did was argue with me. I mean, he wouldn't 
<laughs> there wasn't, he didn't, it didn't really matter what I said. I mean, the guy was going to argue with me about whatever. And so my mother, she was kind of this weirdly superstitious Italian Catholic woman. And she deconverted before I can remember, probably before I was born, uh, to this weird Church of Christ, like fundamentalism. And in that situation, um, you know, she just, I don't know, she had all this weird fear. And there was also this weird thing with her where she just felt really stupid. Like uh, a lot of times she would say, you know, I'm just not that smart. Or, I, you know, she kind of had this weird give up. Like, I don't know. And so whatever they tell me. And But then at the same time, there were certain things that she kind of felt strongly about that she would just be like, they say that's wrong, but I don't think that's wrong. You know, and it would be like, okay, like whatever. Like a cafeteria kind of a religion, <laughs> right? I mean. I, I just think that, you know, when you're not raised in it, sometimes it's hard for them to sell the whole thing like they try to sell the whole pitch and it's like but you're okay with something and you don't understand why it's wrong and they're telling you it's wrong and you're going yeah I don't know I grew up with that it wasn't a problem so it's really hard to change somebody's opinion when they've already experienced something and they don't think there's a problem with it or if they really like something and they don't think there's a problem with it to try to convince them that it's wrong is very difficult so but I mean if they see you on television are they proud are they oh weird? both my parents died like oh Jesus like Christ Tracy, I did not know that. I'm so sorry. Why? I, I mean, I, <laughs> they got I didn't mean to trot upon the grave of your oh, parents. Here no, on, no. On... Believe me. I mean, it. There are hmm. <laughs> there are some people who their biggest contribution to make the world a better place is their death. I mean, that's just a hard reality. And I think in some ways, uh, my dad improved the world the day he died. Um. He I'm wasn't. Not sure, I'm not sure how to unpack that. <laughs> you don't have to be sorry that my parents died. Really? Um, yeah, I'm not. And I, 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 I had relations with them like all the way until they died. If, uh, if I hadn't called and reached out to them, I'd have probably never heard from them. I mean, wow. they are, were very, very uninterested in my life. Not in a. They didn't. They didn't dislike me or anything like that. But they weren't vindictive. They were just disconnected. <laughs> Yeah, they were just doing whatever they did, and as far as they were concerned, I could go do whatever I did. They didn't even, I don't even think they knew what I was involved you know, in. I hope no one ever says about me, you know, <laughs> the day he died, the world became a better place. I mean, that's kind of harsh, yeah. Tracy. I mean, I, I, you're talking about a guy who got, you know, basically kicked out of Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's, and I mean, the guy was just, he could not get along with people and was racist and homophobic wow. and I mean just not a, not a nice person I mean I feel bad because I understand his upbringing um, and I understand like a lot of what made him the way he was and I think for a lot of years I kind of wished that he would have some kind of life change and become a happy person but he never became a happy person he was an angry man he could be a violent man and I just don't see a reason to pretend that uh, it was a big loss <laughs> because it, you know it wasn't. It's like I didn't, I didn't hate him, um, and we had a relationship. I could call, I could pick up a phone and talk to him, and I did, and I would you know call and wish him happy birthday, call him on mom and dad on holidays, and I did my thing. Um, so there was not like we weren't estranged, and we didn't have a strain on our relationship, but. I'm not going to, if they weren't my parents, they were not people I would probably want to be close to in my life. That's that saying, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives, right? Yeah, no. yeah. And I, you know, like I say, I'm not, I'm not going to, there, there are, there were worse, you know, worse people on the planet um, than them, but they well, weren't I mean, I don't necessarily want to take nice. It's just when you throw a zinger <laughs> like that out, I have to stop and just say, whoa, you know, where does that come from? Well, a lot of, a lot of the things I post on Facebook, um, 
have to do with supporting people who have uh, unfriendly families, right? And so a lot of times people are, they try to be, people, other people try to guilt them and tell them like, oh, you have to have a relationship, or you have to love them, that's your mother, or you have to love them, that's your dad, or, you know, that's so sad that you don't have this relationship. But sometimes it's the best thing someone can do it, to cut off those relationships, and sometimes it's the, you know, healthiest for them to necess not necessarily go on the rest of their life wishing that these people loved them who should love them but don't. So I don't like to see people torture themselves over something like that, and I like to tell them, I like to be that voice that tells them, if you don't love your parents and they weren't good people to you, it's okay. Yeah. You don't have to love them any more than you have to love a stranger on the street if they were not good parents to you. Yeah, that's a foreign were... language in my culture. You know, my father's one of those guys, Tracy, where if, you know, he does the Ancestry.com stuff, and, you know, if, if you have the last name, any you live in a remote part of the United States, he'll drive into your state and knock on your door. And, oh, I'm not saying that. If, and, I mean, if, you, if you have good family no, relations... No, no, no. Well, my, point is, my point is that the criteria to be in the in-group is not that you're a good person. It's that mm -hmm. you are just already a part of the tribe. And I've always sort of held in my own life to, yeah, I really do want to be a part of a family, and I think those bonds are important. But I'll also, I would take a good friend over a distant relative or an unpleasant relative any yeah. day. There are, there are. Share a last name or a family tree is no right. guarantee that you're a good person or that we have anything in common or that right. you. And and boundaries also come into play, right? Families quite often cross boundaries in the name of love when they're acting in anything but a loving way, and it makes me crazy. Yeah, my family was very very independent. Like all of the members just sort of did their own thing. So we were never. We were never super close, but not in a bad way. Like, I don't want to make anybody think like that. But, I mean, none of us really keep in touch. We, we have that option. We're all available to each other, but we just don't. We're not close. And that is just the, kind of how I was raised. If I'm missing something, then I don't know it, so I guess I'm okay with it. But I don't, I don't have a problem if people have close family ties. And I don't have a problem if somebody chooses to keep toxic people in their life because they value those bonds. That to me is their decision. And I feel like whatever decision a person makes when it comes to including or excluding their family to, to maintain their own sanity needs to be supported. And I just feel like people should not be guilted or um, somehow judged when they cut off a family member or they say, hey, you know, my brother or my sister or my aunts, uncles, grandmother, whatever, was a horrible person. There are horrible people in the world, and sometimes you're related to them. And when that happens, you shouldn't feel like it's awful to say, this was not a nice person. Right? I mean, Hitler had relatives. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, you, you have the right, I think, to, to judge your family just like you would to judge you know, people that you see on the street that are awful. And if, just because if that awful person married into your family, that doesn't make them better, and it doesn't make them someone that you suddenly have to love. I mean, that's just messed up. And it's, it's, more, it's more a reaction where I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying that whatever they choose to do, people should not try to make them feel bad, you know, and say things. Well, and please don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not pooping on you telling me that you were sorry my parents had died. But there are people who are, will often be like, oh, that's so sad that you don't have a relationship with your, your mom or you don't have a relationship with your dad. And it's not sad. If you knew their mom or dad, you'd be like, oh, that's so great well, that I, you're able speaking, to... I was thinking out of ignorance. I, you know, no, I was no, thinking, I did totally, she have a strong bond? Is she <laughs> grieving? Did it happen yesterday? Oh, my yeah, God. Cool. Just... They were old. They lived their lives. Right, they right. went, you know, did what they did. And, uh, and Well, you and I are on the same page. You know, playing the family card does not give you... <laughs> 
a license to cross boundaries, to inject negativity, to yeah, not at all. You know, to a toxic person, and quite often yeah. families play that card, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't bring you into this world so you can embarrass us or you could treat us like this. I mean, I've been told <laughs> you're an embarrassment to the family, right? Well, how much of that do you put up with, or do you? I just family become I, the family I, you choose, you know. I think that you know it depends on the people. Sometimes you have to like train people, almost like you would train any other animal, right? So. There are times when a person, I'll hear people say like, oh, this this or that person, my in-laws maybe, we hear that a lot, my in-laws always want to talk about religion when I come over and I don't want to have that discussion with them and it, sometimes I've tried a few times to talk to them and it always ends up in a fight, it's just ugly, negative, don't want to go there. And so I will tell them like, you have to, you have to train these people, right? So you go over to the house and they start to bring up this issue and you just immediately say, you know, this is really not something I'm comfortable talking about, so can we just maybe choose another topic and talk about something else? Because a lot of times when we talk about this, it's turned into like an argument, and I would really like to enjoy the visit instead of having an argument. Hmm. And if it comes back to that, like if it keeps coming back, you just keep saying the same thing. It's just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. I really don't want to talk about this. I was hoping that we could come here and have a nice visit. That's not an issue where we agree. And I understand you have your opinions on that. We've tried to talk about it. It hasn't gone well. So can we just have a nice visit? I said about the third time you have to say that in an evening, that's the time you kind of say, yeah, I think we're, it's getting late. <laughs> we have to go. And you just have this experience over and over. And that experience will ultimately end the conversation. They will stop bringing it up yeah. when they realize that you're not going to engage it. It might take a few times. You have to be very consistent with it but you have to just basically train them that this is a conversation you are not going to have. They can have it if they want, but you're not going to engage it. Um, and so you can train a person like that. And sometimes you can just be direct. I think a lot of times people make the mistake of thinking that being direct is being rude. Um, and you can be direct and rude, don't get me wrong, but I think just expressing a boundary isn't really that bad. And I'll just give a real quick example that's been um, something that I actually had talked to someone recently, right? They had a friend of theirs um, that has started, that, that moved into town and has do, doing this thing where they just pop in, right? So it's like they come over, they pop in, they don't call before they come by. And my friend is just like, I don't like that because they don't know what I'm doing or not doing. Like I could have company over I can, and they're like literally coming by and walking in the house, right? So it's like not even a knock, knock, knock. It's like, just come on in. And I'm like, wow, that's, you know, so they've tried all these weird little things, these indirect things to stop it. And one of the things was um, they own a handgun in the house and they said, please, <laughs> please don't, they said, please don't come in like that because I hear someone in the house and you, you know, I could come out with a, and have a gun in your face and I don't want to do that. Now, they don't really believe that's what would happen, but that was the excuse they gave. But what I said was, how insane to me that you would rather put a gun in someone's face to kind of scare them away from doing something you don't like instead of simply saying to them directly, you know, I notice that you come over sometimes and I don't know you're coming over and you just walk into my house and I would really prefer if you would call before you come over. In fact, it makes me very uncomfortable when you come over and you don't let me know that you're coming by um, and so please don't do this anymore. And please make sure that you contact me before you come over and that I respond and say that it's okay to come by before you do this because I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. How is that hard? Yeah. Right? Like, how is that hard? I think we live in a culture where people are so busy trying not to uh, offend 
Um, right, but I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, where is the offense there? Yeah. Please don't do this. It makes me uncomfortable. It's boundaries. That should never be offensive. The word continues to come up. It's just people feeling <laughs> like they're entitled to cross over this membrane, you know, this this line. And I think it's it's more than fine for you to decide where that line is. Yeah, and, and you, can, you can draw that line just based on your personal comfort. You don't yeah. even have to understand why. If something makes you uncomfortable and someone else is doing it and it's they're doing it to you, and they don't need to do it for themselves, then you have every right to say, look, you're involving me in this. I'm not comfortable with it, so don't do this with me. You absolutely can say that. And if they ask you, you know, what's the problem with it, you can just absolutely say, makes me uncomfortable. Tracy, I've <laughs> dominated the first portion of the show. If you're cool, I'd like to go to the sort of switchboard here on Google Hangout and see what our viewers and callers have to throw okay. out. I'm sure this is something sure. that you're used to. Okay. I've got Joel in the chat room. Joel, thanks for calling the radio show or the video show. Thanks for watching. What do you have for Tracy Harris today? I have a question for both. Uh, what is your opinion of people who use, you know, uh, either the satanic temple or pasta uh, in church to, you know, basically troll uh, the Christian privilege uh, that they get from the government? I didn't Tracy understand. Harris? Wait, people who do what? People who use the satanic church in oh. the Wolfhamet monument and they use the Pastafarian yeah. thing with the yeah, spaghetti yeah. string to a draw a circle around church-state separation. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan. I, I think the satanic temple does a really good service and, you know, it's like it's it's fun, it's positive. Uh, they keep it they keep it very positive. And I think they're making a very important statement in the and the way that they're doing it is creative. I, I actually like them. Recently in Oklahoma, you know, that we had the Satanic Church. It was going to do a monument on the Capitol steps, and they had a bunch of Christians, cowboys on horseback, and they rode their horses like a hundred miles to deliver a copy of the Ten Commandments to Governor Mary Fallon on the Capitol steps, and she comes out to receive it. And it was this surreal. <laughs> Wild West, you know, Christianity that was taking place. It was bizarre. And, you know, you guys in Texas, you guys are going through this stuff all the time. Well, I saw a really great uh, little ad. I don't think it's anything new, but it was the first time I'd seen it. I think it was uh, the copyright on the, on the website was like 2014. So this may not be, you know, news, but it was news to me. The Satanic Temple, I guess, has a... a a, a, I want to say a hotline or a, you can connect with them to sort of join and then they say it's against their religion, like corporal punishment is against their religion. So the kids that live in uh, school districts where corporal punishment is still allowed can join and say this is against their religion. <laughs> and so they were encouraging the kids to do that. And I, I wrote up, you know, onto the thread where I saw that. I, you know, I shared it and I was like, this is awesome. And I said... Um, one of the things that I love is their outreach to young people, especially minors, and this has just got to drive the parents mad, right? <laughs> like when their kids have access to this, but it's good. And I, I saw this one um, when I went and talked in St. Louis. There was a convention there, and the Satanic Temple was there tabling, right? So they were one of the vendors, and they had like all these children's things, like coloring books and activity books. I mean, it was just really, really great. And you couldn't not look at it. It was just so cute. Um, and I love the fact that they outreached in, in such a family positive way with, you know, kids in mind. And it's, there's just, you, you've got to love the 
the comedic irony of latching on to, you know, not just a religion, but like grabbing hold of the, the Satan aspect of the Christian religion, which is just probably the best symbol they could have chosen to go and say, like, we're going to go out and we're going to be happy, positive people that promote family and, you know, taking care of children and, like, you know, just doing all these really positive, good social things um, and promoting all these positive messages in a way that you... You can't really get down on them because the message is so positive, and yet they use that symbol of Satan, which you know is is just associated with pure evil in the in the. I identify like a short profile of Anton Lavey, an atheist, and he liked using Satan because he knew how freaked out the faithful got about Satan, and the yeah. more they freaked out, the more he sort of reveled in the fact that they they just live in fear. They're just terrified <laughs> all well, the time. There is a, you know, art, art is all about symbolism, right? And when you choose the, the proper symbols, you get the most bang for your buck as far as social response. And to me, choosing the symbol of Satan in order to promote what they're promoting and to do what they're doing, it was just, it, I don't know that they could have picked a better symbol. Here in, in my experience in, in, well, in Puerto Rico, where I live right now, uh, is that uh, some people are using pastafarism as a stepping stone from their Christianity. Like, are they practicing in a sincere way? They well, are. Maybe, maybe just just using the symbolism and and the uh, and you know soften the blow of of getting out of you know a a, a heavy Christianity into a. So oh, I get it. So they they get a chance to practice religious ritual, and they get to but they get to wink at it at the same time while holding on to some of the structure that religion provided. Right, and and and, and especially on on you know millennials who are under their uh, family you know protection, but at the same time they have to show some kind of religiosity, and they just use you know whatever they can to you know uh, step away from. Uh, either Catholicism or, or uh, you know, uh, baptism. So it, it, it it's just, again, they, they're using it as a stepping stone, and eventually they all, they all come out as atheists, but it helps them, you know, soften the blow. Joel, thanks for the call, man. Much appreciated. Yeah, Let's absolutely. try. I've got Zach on the switchboard. Zach, can you hear me? Adam. You Hello, have a question Zach. or comment for Tracy Harris today? Quick question. Um, does Tracy have an online presence where we can actually sort of get Sort of regular sort of updates of what she's doing in the atheist community. I don't, but I don't really do things, so it's like I don't do much. Um, if I were going to, for example, do some speaking, which obviously I'm saying that, but then I didn't do anything about this. Um, there is the the atheist experience blog where the hosts are welcome to go and post information like that, uh, but I. I mean, I have like a personal Facebook page where I will announce stuff, but I unfortunately I can't make it public, and people will say that sometimes. They'll be like, why don't you make your Facebook page public? But the problem is that I specifically set it up. Um, it's personal, but it's, it's a personal atheist community, so it's like all these online atheists that have come in that have sort of been vetted as friends um, online, and when they do get on the page, a lot of times they have to vent issues that um, that they have with their families or jobs or things like that where maybe they're not out to anyone or everyone. And so for me on Facebook, my page is mainly um, 
using, it's, it's like atheists who are kind of at an advanced, what I consider to be an advanced level. We're not having the discussions that you would normally have when you first become an atheist. It's not, that's not what the page is for. Um, but when there's people on there that aren't out, I can't make my posts public. I don't have like a public page anywhere, but it's only because there wouldn't be much to post there, you know, other than when I'm doing a show or something. And, and the schedule for the show, I should say, is, you know, at the Atheist Experience website, um, and they do keep a schedule there of when the different hosts will be uh, presenting. That answer your question, Zach? Sorry. Well, it does, but it, yeah, it's a shame, because every time I see, see and hear Tracy sort of speaking about atheism, it's always insightful, it's always Aww. sort of honest, and it's always friendly. Oh, thank uh, you. Know, you. That's, that's why I wanted to know if it was like an online sort of thing that you've got. But. It's always friendly. Have, it's I always have... friendly until she tells you to get out. <laughs> then it's not oh, friendly anymore. <laughs> I do Thanks. have some some talks, like recorded talks that are online. If you want to see them, where I did, you know, give give little, I guess, some talks last year. But that's about it. Okay, okay I've got uh, Bart on the switchboard. Bart has been having some audio issues, oh, and so Bart. we held up. <laughs> he held up a notice that said that he had his his audio issue fixed. Very creative. Aww. What's your comment or question for Tracy Harris? What do you have for us? Basically, I, I heard I didn't know that you were an artist. Um, so I'm I'm actually learning to be an artist at the moment. I'm I'm learning yeah. to draw, um, and uh, it was interesting that you only briefly touched on it. So how mm -hmm. do you? express yourself creatively now that you're not an artist. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I do express myself creatively. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I'm hesitant to say anything about it because it's kind of a wonky thing, but I wrote a book, and it's like a fictional book uh, on about, about uh, like some people in relationships. Um, and it's nothing that's, it's not published, it's in edits right now, but I'm not really promoting it as something because I kind of did it for myself and not really as a public thing. That would probably be the, the one thing I've done like in a long time that was an outlet for me to say I have some ideas that need to, that I feel like I need to get out in some way because I was just very frustrated with, it's actually, it, I'm frustrated with religious models of relationships dominating the relationship framework in the West. I don't like the way that they have set up this normality of like, you know, man, woman together for life, um, and you have to be happy with that or there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I think that that's a really messed up thing to try to get people to do, and when you look at, you know, um, speakers like Daryl Ray who have put a lot of time into studying human beings and sexuality and relationships, you begin to see that people are far more flexible and dynamic than, than this model that basically says one size must fit all. Um, I understand like from a legislative standpoint why you would want to have a specific model that might be a standard if you're going to endow some sort of familial benefits to people based on this from a legal standpoint. Um, it's certainly a good efficient way of saying you can just adopt this partner and we'll legally consider it like almost like an adoption where you two are you know next of kin and they get all the benefits and we'll just package it up and it's very neat and clean um, and if you want to break it up we can make that neat and clean too because it's the only model and I, I'm not talking about you know necessarily asking the law to legitimize every form of 
relationship that a person can dream of because that would be a crazy family court situation. But I do think that when it comes to just socially accepting relationships, we need to be far more flexible and less judgmental and more open. And there's just so many people that I think um, have this attitude that if, uh, if a person um, is sexually empowered, if they go out and they have multiple partners, if they, you know, that, that somehow this is bad. And you know, there's a there's a attitude in some ways where people are like, well, women get punished for this, but men get praised for it. But in honesty, men get hammered for it too. You know, there are a lot of people who just think, oh, he's a dog. You know, he just sleeps with anything. You like, and we have this weird sort of perspective, even sometimes in very enlightened secular people, that there is this sort of shame, shame on you for being so open about your sexuality or being so flexible with your relationships or, and I look at that like, you know, say so what do you, you think a person can't be a good person and, and love lots of people or maybe not love lots of people but enjoy sexual experiences with lots of, like this makes someone what, evil or bad or, you know, awful. Um, and I don't like seeing that kind of judgment and I think that there needs to be more of an expression of not only acceptance of the idea of differences, um, I think in a lot of ways what we have now, you know, people get hammered, for example, for cheating uh, in a relationship or cheating in a marriage, but we have a society that looks down on an open relationship, right? So you have almost, I, I don't want to, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that the oppression is equivalent, but it was a similar situation that um, the gay community had to deal with years ago where if you wanted to get married, if you wanted to have kids, you had to basically go into this model that was a heterosexual union um, trying to stay together. They would, they, there were a lot of gay people. I had a lot of gay friends that when we grew up and we found out, oh, they're gay. We didn't know they were gay because they had gotten married, they had had these families, they had done all these things trying to fit into the socially acceptable norm of heterosexual reality that didn't accept them and wasn't open to what they needed. And so they just did what was available. And I think a lot of people do that now, even in the heterosexual community, where we're considered to be like the norm and we have that privilege. But at the same time, we still are locked into this idea that you have this relationship model that you have to enter into if you want to be loved or if you want to have a family or if then this is what you have to do. Um, and obviously some areas of the country are gonna be more flexible than others. But as long as we have that sort of social condemnation and expectation around what's required in a relationship, which I think is mainly because of religion, um, I think that we have to start looking at the idea of people cheating in a relationship in a similar way to saying that, you know, Jim was married for 20 years and had three kids and then came out gay. There's a lot of people who are going to look at that and say, hey, I'm sympathetic because we didn't really give Jim uh, an opening to, to be gay and to be in a gay relationship and to and to express himself sexually and in a in an emotional <laughs> way with with a partner, um, and we only gave him this limited uh, sort of choice that really didn't fit him, and so he tried for 20 years to fit into that model. It didn't work, and ultimately he had to be himself. And so we, we would tend to probably not hammer somebody that hard if that were a situation that occurred. But when someone cheats. We don't look at it and say, well, maybe this person is polyamorous and they are not in a situation or in a town where they can express themselves that way and be accepted. 
And so they went into the only relationship model they could and they were not able to maintain it because this is not conducive to who they are as a human being and how they express themselves sexually and emotionally with, within a relationship. Now this I is just, stuff you write about in the book? or Yes. I, basically the, it's the story of a guy who has these attitudes and he's a decent guy. And he uh, gets in a situation with a woman who has got this very, very monogamous mindset um, and they have like just a brief encounter and then later they end up being thrown together in a situation where they have to spend more time together and she gets very attached and he just doesn't attach that way. He's not a bad guy. He just does not get attached like that. Bart, does that answer your question or, or it, address? It does. I, I've just got one more thing to, to say. Uh, your, uh, your voice, Seth, uh, I've learned a lesson, a valuable lesson, when I first started listening to uh, the to your show, is never put chocolate near the speaker because Just your stop. voice tends to melt it. Just stop. <laughs> right. I blush easily. You're very, you're very kind. Seth is like, oh, how you do it. Whatever. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? But thank you. You're very kind. Hey, Brian, do I have audio for you? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to put your face up, and, and real fast, Renee, I will get to your question. Brian said, chat question, how do we do a better job of improving our networks to build community? We're really good at coming together to battle religious issues, but not so great at having resources for people in need, people in our tribe. I think we need to change the focus a little more on supporting our people like churches do. What are your thoughts, Tracy Harris? I agree. Um, I agree, and unfortunately, this is one of those areas where I'm like not the person to lead that effort. I'm the person who am I'm just don't really need social contact that much, and so for. But I'm also not the person who says, therefore, I don't understand why anybody else would need it. I look at it like there's people with different needs. I have a friend. Uh, I'm going to just plug him here, Joe Mercado, who's with the Piedmont Humanist Association. They do a lot with um, trying to build a, a foundation for a social networking. They try to partner with um, family-friendly groups and do all kinds of socially, uh, you know, redeeming efforts. And so they're they're constantly looking for ways to network and to uh, provide that kind of social context where people feel supported in that way. I think it's fantastic the way they're doing it, and I have uh, talked about them once before where I suggested that other groups might look to them as uh, a model of how they're doing it. I would say that people who are good at social coordination should step up and look at that as a need and maybe volunteer in that capacity. Uh, if you're with an atheist group that will, and you're not uh, part of it or involved and you feel like that's where you maybe have a strong suit, step up and just say, I would like to volunteer to start a kind of subcommittee or even do it myself to, to start planning projects that we can do as a group to offer the members. I think that's a fantastic idea and I would support it fully. I've got Renee on the switchboard. Renee, thanks for being a part of the broadcast. Do you have a question or comment for Tracy Harris today? Well, mainly I have a comment. I just wanted to tell her how much I really appreciate her sharing her voice and views to the community. It, it serves as a great role model for me. And um, your pragmatic and practical ways of talking about relationships and family have altered how I communicate with my husband and my kids. And wow. I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, we're totally welcome. If I you know, did or said anything that was useful for somebody, I, I'm glad. 
I mean, you know, that's a that's always a, a good thing in life to know that you had a, a positive input into something about someone else. That's got to feel yeah, good, right? I mean, <laughs> Renee, we're, we activists sometimes are in the business where we're sending something out into a feed that goes out into the ether, but we don't always get the chance to, to hear the voices and see the faces and connect. I would, I would actually like to um, applaud Renee in her phrasing of uh, the idea of thanking me for sharing my views and my voice. There are a lot of people who will say things like, thank you for representing the community. Or th and, 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 I, and I don't like to think that I do. I like to think that I represent myself. And like you're saying, if someone benefits from that, that's great. But I don't want people to feel like I'm representing them or that I'm trying to represent them. I really, really promote that people need to make their own voices heard, that people are responsible for expressing their own views, um, as much as they can. And I will do my best to make inroads to allow those voices to be heard in areas where they can't currently be heard. So I understand that there are some situations where people cannot express their views and it's not an easy thing to do or it might even be impossible. But I do feel like the goal should be to create a situation where one day they can open their mouth and, and represent themselves. And so for me, the whole thing is about making sure that all these voices get heard, not making sure that my voice represents everybody else or that I'm even trying to, because there are too many voices for somebody to represent. Uh, and so I really appreciate the fact that you identified my presentation of myself as being for myself. Renee, you just made our day. Are you made tracing? <laughs> well, both of you have made my day. So. Uh, well, thanks for <laughs> being a part of the show. Much appreciated. Thank you. Tracy, thanks for everything you're doing in Austin, Texas and via the internet around the world. Thanks for sort of, um, you know, I, I think you've got, a, you've got a real gift at this and uh, I think many people would agree with me that you do and I'm glad that you've decided to throw your hat in the ring and be a part of the conversation. I think we're all doing what we can, where we can, however we can. And and for, for doing what you do, thanks. It really is sure. making a difference out there. Yeah, I mean, I think things need to be done and people need to do them. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you, it's, you're going to like it, but uh, if it needs doing and no one else is doing it, and you know, not to, I, I feel weird about this, but it, it parallels kind of what the book thing. One of the comments that the editor made to me, <laughs> or another editor, I'm sorry, not the editor that's mainly working, but there was another person that read it that is um, not officially working in the capacity of editorial, but is an editor, and he, one of his very first comments to me was, you're a very crappy writer. <laughs> and I said, I know this. <laughs> I said, I know this. Um, but I said, the problem that I have is that when I went online to find this idea expressed somewhere in, the, in a form like this, I couldn't find it. I said, if there were a better writer willing to step up and write this story, I would prefer that. But since a better writer's not doing it, I think it needs to be done, and so I did it. Well, we'll keep our eyes. Do we have a date <laughs> for release for this sucker? I, I actually don't. Um, and I, like I said, I, I, it was kind of just for me. And there was a part of me that I've already talked to the editor, and I was just like, I don't want to release this under my name. I want to release it under, like, another name, because I don't. what I don't want is people who are like, I really like Tracy Harris, therefore I will buy the book. And it's like, I don't want that. I want, if, if the book is crap and nobody likes it, then it should sit and never sell a copy. It should never sell just because it has my name on it. Okay. Well, we'll keep our eye open for something <laughs> with someone's name on it, which releases at some point, at some time, somewhere. Oh, that, that work? 
and I might do. I mean, I, they might convince me otherwise. They uh-huh. were just like, no, you should, you should. I'll make sure. And like, I'll know. link to the atheist experience in the description box of this show. We'll keep our eyes and ears open for what you're about and doing in the future. And okay. all my best. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thank you. Follow the Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. Watch dozens of original videos on the Thinking Atheist YouTube channel. And visit our website for resources, links, contact information, the editor's blog, and more. TheThinkingAtheist.com As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.